On today's episode, Understanding Your Epigenetics, Part 2. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. This is an extremely different episode today. Um, I have four of us on, um, so three guests and myself. And if you are not familiar with episode 133, um, the title was Understanding Your Epigenetics to Prevent and Manage Injury with Dr. Ken McDonald. Um, We discussed um, what is epigenetics and how it can impact you as a runner, as an athlete, and um, your just overall lifestyle. And um, I'll explain it a lot once we get into the recording, so I won't repeat myself now, but I put the call out to a few patrons and a few podcast listeners over the um, Facebook groups and just to see who'd be interested in exploring this topic further. And so, yeah, we got on to um, Riverside, which is the platform that I'm now using to record interviews and had all four of us on having a really good chat. I had such a fun time. It was, um, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, and just learning a lot along the way. We it, it took a, there was a few hiccups to start with. Um, we had mic issues, and then we had connection issues, and then, um, yeah, so we started a bit late than what was predicted, but we got through the episode um, it just took a fair bit of editing on my behalf, but I think it turned out really, really well. Content was top-notch. Um, Cam is the best when it comes to this, so passionate. And hopefully it sparks a, f- uh, a lot of interest for you guys. Um, hopefully it's informative and hopefully perhaps it triggers something for you to explore your own epigenetics moving forward to help um, train smarter and improve as an athlete, but improve your diet, improve your sleep, all that sort of thing. So um, it was a great topic. I love doing stuff new and maybe I do more um, conversations like this in the future. So um, yeah, let's take it away. Okay. With a bit of a delay, welcome everyone to the Run Smarter podcast. Um, I have with me Dr. Cam McDonald. I have Darren. I have James. Welcome everyone. Um, Thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Let me just run everyone up to speed, everyone who's listening on what's happened since um, when... Dr. Ken McDonald was on last time. He was on episode 33 talking about epigenetics and um, a lot's happened since then. And I, um, we sort of came up with this idea to get a few people on, onto um, something. So the format itself is extremely different to what I'm used to. I haven't had three people on and now I've had, now we've got four people on. Um, so following our last epigenetic chat, 
um, a few things happened. One, the feedback was uh, really, really good. A lot of people were extremely fascinated. A fair few were quite confused. A, a lot of um, a lot of feedback around like, oh, how accurate is it? Like just a, a lot of fascination around epigenetics. Um, and since then, I had the pleasure of going through this um, PH360 myself and going through the questionnaires, doing the measurements and profiling myself jumped on a one-on-one chat with Dr. Cam again and went through kind of my epigenetics. And I also purchased the book um, Blueprint, which um, Cam mentioned last time. And so starting to uh, become extremely fascinated around this topic. And so we kind of played around with this idea. How about we get some podcast listeners um, doing, going through the same process and potentially um, learning more about epigenetics that way. And get them to talk about their experiences and uh, whether the listeners themselves might be really interested in doing it themselves. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to jump on. Uh, James, we're going to start off with you because I know I've done this one-on-one, the questionnaires and the measurements and all that sort of stuff myself, but I just wanted to get um, yours and Darren's take on your experience and how that that whole, I guess, the whole introductory questions and measurements all went, went well for you. So, um, James, start us off. How did you find it all? Yeah, I I kind of came into this world of epigenetics, which I had never heard of previously because you had that previous episode with Dr. Pam and at the time I was working with you, Brody, with your physiotherapy clinic and I I got interested in it because I think during that podcast you said something like you were learning a lot about yourself from it so far and I messaged you at the time and I said, hey, Brody, you know, what's this about? What's it? would you recommend it and you said it was great so uh i then sort of expressed the interest to you and then you came up with the idea and i was very happy to 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 be one of the guinea pigs on this episode because i love learning and i i love constantly looking for new ways to optimize both my training and just my everyday life so i was very excited and uh the questionnaire is sort of the first thing that you do in terms of mapping your epigenetics so there's a long set of questions different body measurements to give them a sense of what your body shapes like so that involved uh, getting a tape measure and measuring things like your rib cage your the the girth of your um sort of your quads and everything ankles and then inputting all of that information into a set of questions and then that would spit out if you like a blueprint of what you look like and shape of your body and then there were other additional questions about your daily habits like smoking drinking um, familial history and so i had to call one of my parents to ask about the family history <laughs> in terms of our background uh for some particular questions but very thorough probably took me about an hour to go through it all and uh was was nice to to reflect and just take a moment to think about how am i sleeping at the moment how am i doing this you know what's my diet like etc and then at the end of that it spits out uh i suppose some results which give you some recommendations concerning your particular epigenetics and the type that uh, you tend to gravitate towards but i'll let cam talk about that when we get to it yeah, and for those who um, might be familiar with the name and the voice, so if those who have listened to my Proximal Hamstring Tendopathy podcast or 
are a patron, they may recognize James because he did episode 10 on um, one of the patrons as his success story um, working online with, with myself. And so, yep, that's where he comes in. That's where he chimes in. Um, Darren, I know you had a big fascination with the epigenetics when you heard the episode and then you went on to listen to other talks um, that Cam done on online and started delving into that a bit more as well. So how did you find the whole process? Yeah, so after I listened to your, your podcast, I was like everyone else, very fascinated in it and could relate to a lot of it. But at the same time, my, my in-laws are a uh, medical family and I talked to them about it. And yeah, they, they'd heard about it before, but I was still skeptical. So I spent a lot of time on YouTube finding out who Dr. Cam was and uh, <laughs> seeing, seeing what, other, what other podcasts he'd, be, he'd been on. And yeah, it, it, seemed, it seemed quite good. So yeah, I, I jumped online and I signed up and I did the questionnaire. And yeah, it was a similar experience to James. Probably did it a bit quicker. I don't think I was as thorough as what James was, but there's a reason for that. Actually, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, very nice. All right, so um, I guess learning from that, I had I, I'm not can't really remember how long it took me. It was quite a, a several weeks ago now, but um, yeah, same experiences. Had the misses go through the measurements. Um, she's a physio as well who works in hospitals and deals with tape measures. And she was spot on. She was like to the millimeter, just making sure everything's correct, which I found very, very helpful. Um, so Cam, um, welcome again. Uh, with all this information, with understanding, uh, answering these questions about family history and also getting measurements, uh, uh, your body measurements, um, what sort of stuff are we gathering? What are you gathering and what, why is it so useful? Yeah, so firstly, it's wonderful to be back, and thank you so much, guys, for diving in as you as you have. The um, we've all we're, there are four crusaders on this call. There's <laughs> there's six major health types that we look at um, that are related to embryological development, and and one of those uh, is crusaders, and but there are variations within each of us that make us different as well, which we'll get into hopefully in the session. Um, what we're essentially what we're measuring, particularly. Uh, when we're doing the body measurements, first and foremost, we're looking at your skeletal structure. Now, your skeletal structure does not develop overnight. It develops over years and years and years of hormonal influence. Hormones are driving skeletal structure. And hormones are responsive, uh, are responsive to the environment and respond to the environment um, in, in conjunction with gene expression, which is obviously driving hormones as well. So the by looking at your skeletal structure, we get a general hormonal dominance picture of your system and it actually tracks back to embryological times. So how you develop in the womb is actually being shown in your body structures right now. And so when we look at the 360 degree circle, pH 360, 360 degree circle, you map somewhere onto the 360 degree circle and that depends on how you developed in the womb. There are three core layers in, in the embryo and depending on how we develop, we'll develop one or two of those layers more than the other one or two layers. And that then means that we have greater hormone sensitivity to very, in, in some cases, we have different organ and uh, uh, you know, even brain development as well as a result of all of these things. So what happens in embryo 
actually has a butterfly effect for the rest of our life on our body size and shape. So when we look at body size and shape very specifically, like the size of your, your skull, the, the length of your jawbone, the thickness of your neck, the length of your hand, all of these things are very specific markers as opposed to, you know, we might just take a weight and the height off somebody. That helps but we get very specific because there's different hormones that relate to different structures. And so I'll give you one example very quickly is that if, if your body is exposed to more testosterone during embryological development, we know that you will have a longer, well, it's more likely that you'll have a longer ring finger than index finger. And um, it also, if you have a longer index finger or it's longer ring finger than index finger, you are also more likely to be more competitive, more aggressive, more challenged, more action-oriented. There are more elite athletes with that feature. And uh, if you don't have that feature and your index finger is longer, it's because you've been exposed to more estrogen relatively in embryological times, which means you're going to be more nurturing, more caring, more people-oriented. And so what I want to just tease out here is something that happens in the womb projects forward changes the way that our body develops, our finger lengths. So we're actually changing the structure of our body. It's also because those hormones are not just acting on the bones, it's also acting on the brain and the way that we develop. We end up with hormones that are affecting our body and our mind at the same time. And this is where we start getting a biological basis for behavior. If we have someone who's juiced up on more testosterone, for example, of course they're going to be more competitive or they're more sensitive to testosterone is probably the more accurate way of describing it. They're, of course, they're going to be more competitive because that's the hormone that's associated with competitiveness versus if somebody has more estrogen receptors or more sensitive to estrogen, uh, then of course, they're going to be more nurturing because those hormones have that effect on your behavior. And so when we actually measure a person up, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing embryological development and that the hand finger length is one, but there are 80 different ratios that we're actually looking in the profile to really understand what is your nuance and then the questions, there's 68 questions and a few more for, uh, for females as well with female health. And um, those questions are picking up things like hair color, eye color, skin tone, which become really important for nutrient requirements. And let's say that you've got you know, pale skin, ginger hair, I've got slight ginger in my hair and, and, and green eyes. The, these genes have developed in Northern Europe. Now, if you take Northern European genes and move them out to Australia, I go from 90% cloud cover to 90% sunlight. And all of a sudden, my melanoma risk is through the roof. And so I'm now going to need to address my diet and my nutrients and my environment in a way that prevent me from getting melanoma because that risk is much higher now. And so it's actually asking you where you live right now. It's asking you about all of these different features about your lineage, um, about your behaviors, about your disease history as you are developing, which tells us about uh, once again, that embryological, the embryological milestones throughout your life so that it can get very precise then um, so that, you know, for example, you don't overdose on oxalic acid. Oxalic acid has a tendency to turn on some genes that can lead towards melanoma. And there's oxalates in tomatoes, for example. So it's one of those things where if we, we haven't been talking about this much um, because it's been hard to quantify. But now we have so much information on genetics and we've been mapping this, this, these features back to genes for the last 20 years. And so we have a very good understanding of the external characteristic of a body and how it associates back to the genes that you have and the genes that are turned on. And so in any given point in time, when you do your measures, we get an understanding of your health state right now. 
because we don't just get your skeleton, we get how you're depositing fat, we get whether your skin's flaky or dry, we're getting lots of different symptoms. And if those symptoms change, then of course, your profile changes as well. So this is an ongoing assessment that we do every month, which allows you to then update your app as well. So all of this information is being taken into account and there are 10,000 data points that are actually being collected in that questionnaire that takes about an hour for some people for the very detail-oriented crusader um, versus for the uh, activator-oriented crusader. This is uh, Darren. It's like, nah, it didn't take that long and I just whipped through it, no dramas. So this is even within this health type, you're going to see different predispositions for behavior, uh, but we gather an incredible amount of data in that very short period of time. So that's essentially what's happening. And from this, we get disease prediction, we get exercise preferences, biomechanical influences, we get nutrient pathways, we get behavioral tendencies, uh, even environmental uh, response, responsiveness, so how air conditioning affects us versus warm weather, et cetera, et cetera. So we get a very, very powerful picture of the body based on all of the information that we collect in relatively short time. Okay. Um, fantastic. I think um, it's really exciting to hear you talk about this sort of stuff. Um, some of the responses on Facebook were uh, marking kind of the environmental influences, like say, um, James might be very analytical, very data focused, but that might be something that's happened in his upbringing. Maybe something, mm -hmm. maybe he's had like an event that's caused him to maybe focus on creating data. Whereas, um, yeah, or even like body type talking about like waist circumference or, um, BMI or those sort of things, they have environmental factors also. Um, so. I guess when it comes down to the accuracy and predicting these sort of the forecasting, um, what's your response to those sort of comments? That's great. So there's grades of epigenetics that are found within like dur time duration differences in, in, in epigenetic expression is what's really important here. And what I mean by that is your skeleton, if you sit on the couch for three months and get a big waist, doesn't change. Your skeleton stays the same. Your skeleton is long-term development that we actually see these ratios appear, and this is well-documented, uh, at two to three years of age. So your skeletal structures start emerging at that time in your life, um, and those ratios are relevant. And this, is, this indicates that it's actually happening before we really have much of an influence. And I will say that definitely your development is influenced by your environment, but one of the most pivotal environments is the womb. And this is all happening in the womb. It's a combination of both environmental response and the genetics that you have. And this is where it's not hard genetics that we're talking about. We're actually talking about gene expression based on environment. And the womb is a particularly potent environment. So skeletal structure doesn't change. And so the, the measures that we have make it very, very accurate as to what is your dominant expression of genes throughout your life. And that will be a combination of your environment and the genetics that you have. So if you're undernourished up until the age of seven, there's more likely that you're going to have a shorter femur, uh, for example. And so that will then change the ratios, but that's also then going to change the trajectory of hormones throughout the rest of your life. And so whatever we're measuring now is a long-term understanding of how your body has developed. And that's what our science is based around is, is understanding that developmental path then we have something like a waist circumference, which of course changes in a few months and, you know, it, and, and so, but your skeleton doesn't change. So you just become a very unhealthy crusader with a paunch, you know, whereas a guardian 
They don't just get this bit of fat around their gut that they can't shift. They, a guardian is the opposite type that develop out of their uh, endoderm that have a, a much more substantial body. They've got bigger muscle, bigger, bigger fat tissue. They're like the world's strongest men type body if we were to make a caricature of the extreme. Um, they put fat on everywhere. And so whereas crusaders, the group that we've got on this call right now, and we can reference this, when you get a little bit stressed mentally and you're not eating really well, and even if you're exercising a fair bit, you get a paunch and you get this bit of tummy fat around your stomach that doesn't seem to go anywhere. Your legs are razor thin all of the time, like there's not much fat on your legs ever. Um, but where we hold our mass is in our stomach, whereas other people will hold it around their hips and thighs. So even large changes in waist to hip ratio is actually indicative of different bodies because we all don't have hormones to put on fat in the same places in the same way. And so even change in waist circumference is actually indicative of the type that in that way. Um, so that probably helps a little bit. And then we've got the very real-time changes of symptoms, you know, energy and bowel movements and, uh, you know, how your skin tone's going or skin quality, I should say. And I've used that a few times, but even, um, you know, the types of foods that you're eating, uh, sleep quality, et cetera, et cetera. These are where we're getting more subtle changes that are responsive to the last you know, few weeks. So it, within the assessment, we're actually looking at your lifelong development. And that's where the accuracy of our data is very, very good in how you've developed throughout life. And then off that baseline, where have you deviated? Are you healthy for your body or not healthy for your body? And uh, this is where the, the measures are much more specific than just waste or BMI. We're looking at specific bone length, specific girths of elbows and wrists, which is uh, not related so much to lifestyle. But um, And then when it comes to the detail orientation side of things, this is spoken about really well in Robert Plowman's book, where um, this idea that if you've got a child that's very detail-oriented, you respond to the child with detail orientation because that's what they seem to respond to. They don't seem to respond to anything else. There's actually this reverse nature versus nurture argument of the child's nature actually drives the nurture that they get. If you've got a really fiery child, then you react to the fiery child. If you've got a nerdy, and I say that because I'm a nerd, a, a nerdy, like detail-oriented um, brain, then you nurture to the detail-oriented brain. And so this is where over 50% of our personality is actually determined genetically, but that leaves a big gap for you to leave things out as well. But what I will say is that when you are aligned with what is built into you, it will feel much easier than having to learn over the top of your impulses, which is what we have to do at work, but it doesn't necessarily mean we walk home energized. So uh, that, that would probably... Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Well, how I'd address those few things. Yeah, and reading that uh, blueprint book was fascinating when they're talking about twin studies and identical twins versus non-identical and identical twins like separated at birth and like how they turn up compared to if they've grown up in the same household and like all these different studies that they've done was extremely fascinating. Being a twin myself was like particularly fascinating. But mm. um, before we jumped on the call, it turns out like all four of us turn out to be crusaders in this when you're talking about these six major health types. Um, but you said something really interesting when I asked the question, well, are runners more prone or more inclined to being one certain 
health type. Do you mind maybe repeating that and then we'll get on to maybe any individual differences that we do have? Yeah, totally. So um, when you look at the Olympics, like the way to think about, oh, you know, I want to be a marathon runner. And you go, you probably shouldn't be. And you go, you can't tell me what to do. You know, I can do anything that I want to. And you go, absolutely. And everyone can try and be a sprinter like Usain Bolt. But unless you've got those levers, those genetics, that environment, there's a very, very, very little chance that you're actually going to do what he did. And so um, the first thing is it's really important that we know our strengths and Olympians know their strengths more than anything else because they are at the, the strongest, they're in the strongest group in the world in a specific skill. And so when you think about marathon runners, have a think about every single marathon runner that you have ever seen in an Olympic pack run. They are light boned, like bird-like bones, the lighter, the better, really. Like they're, you know, 60 odd kilos in the, in the men's. And this allows them to have very little resistance as they run. It makes it very easy to run and not put a whole lot of stress and strain on their joints. The other thing about their body as well is they have very long muscle bellies and not huge bulky muscles generally. And so when you've got longer muscle bellies across a longer, um, a moment arm or a longer, um, by bone length, essentially, and joint, uh, it makes it more advantageous to do lightweight repetitively lots of times as opposed to a heavyweight a few times. And so as a, as a class of athletes, what makes a great endurance runner is lightness, is being able to do lots of repetitive motions with light intensity, but lots of times, uh, essentially endurance activities, but also have um, focus and an internal monitor for how well you're focusing as well, because it's it's such a solo game in many ways, the way that you need to conserve energy and track yourself. And so when we, versus when we look at shot put, for example, shot put is a completely different sport. We're not doing lots of little movements. We're doing one big movement and then having, you know, 20 minutes rest. And so you put a marathon runner into shot put and you go, well, there's no chance because he's not a strong. Exactly. So all of the shot putters are these huge, massively thick muscled people with thick bones that have height that are good for one massive push. And then they like to sit down. That's exactly what their physiology is designed for. Um, and that's because when you have much bigger muscle, you have more type 2B muscle fibers, which don't have tolerance to do marathon running. And this is why when you see a shot putter running marathon, they do it a lot slower than a, a natural uh, marathon runner. And so when we talk about crusaders, crusaders, uh, as they develop, they develop with a a greater dominance of their nervous system and also their musculoskeletal system. So they don't develop lots of muscle and, and fat and bone, but they, they develop some and they also develop a, uh, a heightened sense of awareness and, and greater neural activity, which is then makes them, uh, I guess, the hormone that we talk about with crusaders is dopamine, which a dopamine is the, the hormone that allows you to continue doing something painful if it's purposeful in a way that you don't really feel the pain. You just really work through it. You just, you just keep going. It's, dopamine is an amazing drug that makes you enable, enables you to stay on task doing the thing even though it's painful if you think it's purposeful. It's a reward center hormone and, and crusaders have this, the way they develop with their nervous system and musculoskeletal system is with these lighter bodies with a bit more muscle, muscle tissue than pure nervous system development, which is the, pure, the sensor. So they've got a bit more resilience in their physicality, but they've also got this brain 
that is geared towards dopamine production and chasing dopamine production, which is about my goals, my targets, my tracking, my outcomes, and I will produce dopamine to overcome the pain that is associated with getting there as well. And so you wrap all of that up. You've got a bunch of guys with skinny calves with um, Darren as an exception. He's got a 40 centimeter calf. Congratulations, Darren. Not too many crusaders get to 40 centimeters, mate. Um, the, <laughs> we have these skinny carved light bodies that are just designed to run like whippets. And they have the mentality, this dopamine reward system that actually allows them to do it for two hours at a time at really high pace, even though they're feeling discomfort. Whereas the shot putter, uh, they have a completely different reward system. Um, and the way that they're driven is actually through a, a, through different hormones as well. And so as a, as a class of athletes, we would expect people who naturally gravitate towards running find it relatively easier. And this is why you put bodies that are maybe heavier and more overweight into running and they go, I don't really like the running because often they have more pain in their joints. But if you put them into heavy weight lifting, they go, oh, I can lift heavy weights. Yeah, I like that. And their body responds better as well. And then there's some really nice genetic research saying that if you take crusader-like bodies and you put them into endurance training as they're designed to do, they get both endurance and power increases by doing endurance training. Versus if you put, and I think we spoke about this, if you take a group of power athletes or genetically powered athletes who are not designed for endurance but designed for power and you make them train power, both their power and their endurance increase. However, if you take the power athlete and train them for endurance, you train them against their genetic tendencies and their genetic preferences, they don't get a response of endurance or power anywhere near as much as they do from training power itself. So if you train a body for the thing that it's designed to do, you'll get a better response. Crusader bodies are designed for endurance. When they train endurance, they get a better response. Therefore, their retention in that sport is much higher versus a, a guardian shot putter is not going to enjoy endurance training because it just stresses every foot and joint in their body. Whereas if they can lift something really heavy, they're laughing and they thrive in it and they feel good and then they want to go back. So this is where, you know, uh, when you understand what's best for your body and you train it, you're going to get a better response. I love everything you're saying, but I think I'm going to have to start putting a time limit on your answers. You yeah, just sorry, keep mate. going on. <laughs> yeah, I want to be detailed. You know, I've got yeah, a bunch of crusaders out in the world I've got to talk to about this stuff, you know? Like I say, I love it. And um, <laughs> coming up with this idea to have everyone on, um, it would have been a nice idea for everyone to come on and all have different profiles and talk about all the differences and we can all say yes, but... Like, well, we've all turned out to be crusaders, but like you said, there's deviations in the crusader profile. So um, maybe we start with Darren. What have you found out uh, with his profiling and his questions? And we know he's a crusader, but is there, um, how does he deviate within that profile? Cool. So in the, um, and I'll let you ask some questions after this, Darren, after I um, just sort of, and it'll be interesting. I'll just do this cold because I've never met Darren before. And I'm just going to roll through what it says in his profile and, and just see what lands and see what resonates. So on the 360 degree circle, uh, the wedge that is for Crusaders is between 30 degrees and 90 degrees. So, uh, and then when, so that's, that's that. Darren is at 85. 85 is right on the cusp of activators. Activators are shorter a bit more muscly, more bulbous muscle. That's why Darren has a bit more muscle than a typical crusader because he's now actually getting more musculoskeletal dominance into his body. So there'll be more 
uh, show of that of those muscle musculoskeletal versus uh, James and Brody are a bit further down. So they're more neural because they're closer to the neural end of embryological development. So we have a bigger body generally in Darren, like as thicker bones, thicker joints, thicker calf muscles, as I mentioned. Um, but what was also really interesting about um, Darren's profile was the secondary or like the other statements in his profile that describe how his mind works is very much in alignment with the activator, which is a bit more fiery, a bit. And when you see this combination, you see like a bullish kind of mind of like a testosterone, noradrenaline driven brain of like, ah, I'm going this way. And I like can fire up if they, uh, if there was a, um, a little bit of a stress or something like that, can be fairly direct with language. And, uh, but it'll also mean that he needs a bit more variety in his day as well. Because with higher testosterone levels, a bit more adrenaline, you need a sense of variety and change to actually make things interesting. And if he's stuck in his brain, it's going to mean that he's going to need to break it, move, and that'll help him refresh and, and get his brain clear again. Uh, plus, he can be a little bit more, like, really strong on his opinions. Uh, activators are really strong on their opinions. They don't mind getting into a bit of a, a tussle because uh, it creates a bit of excitement as well. So, mate, that was um, that was my summary, mate. What do you reckon? Uh, I th- I th- it feels like you've pretty well nailed my life in, uh, <laughs> in five minutes. So, yeah, yeah what you said about... Um, yeah, chasing dopamine, I'm pretty much doing that since I was in high school, just cycling pretty much every day for an hour after school. Yeah. Like, I've, I've never been a massive competitor, but yeah, like locally, I, I've definitely been driven to to ride and run every afternoon. And yeah, I've, I've never known, wow. never known what makes me want to just keep on doing it every single day. And yeah, fr- from what you've said, you've, I feel like you've pretty much nailed it, and um, and and I've had a, a career change in the last three years. So I went for a, from a job that was quite active and moving around every day, and quite self-rewarding from the activities that I was doing to a, a job that's quite yep. sedentary. So yeah, I'm sitting around a lot, and as, as much as I enjoy the work, I definitely I think I prefer to move around a lot more and I think my body reacts a lot better to that. Yeah, mate, it's essential. Yeah, this isn't just about a a fun magic show of like, oh yeah, this is you. It's actually your body needs to move and if it's not moving, you need to find ways to move Um, and it'll actually help, really help you with your creativity as well. Yeah. One thing you were mentioning earlier, Cam, is that when we look at marathon runners, they're often stick thin and they have that body type. They don't carry a lot of muscle. And one of the things that Brody and I discussed in the earlier podcast was my history of proximal hamstring tendinopathy. In the past, I was dead skinny. I, my, my legs were thick, thin, and honestly, I had no problem with that because I'd look at the marathon runners and I think that's the kind of body you want. If you want to perform, you want to be a good runner, that's how you do it. And my, my lack of strength then meant that the, my body started to break down, my tendons started to degenerate. And in my rehab recently, I've done a lot of strength training, a lot of heavy weights, heavy deadlifts, heavy squats. And now I'm becoming more bulky. And it's kind of hearing what you're saying and hearing what Darren's saying, you know, Darren's a bit more bulky. He's 85 degrees, so he's putting towards activator. He's got more muscle. I've increased my muscle. What I'm wondering is, can you change from one type to another over time and are there ways that or strategies you can implement to change if you want to change to another type? Great question. 
So uh, what I'll first say, James, and this is really important, is how much weight have you gained in muscle? Uh, hardly any weight. My legs just look bigger. Okay, got it. <laughs> So this is a perfect example of um, like exactly the crusader body. Like without a doubt, if you're stronger, every step you take is easier. You know. So that, but when when I start, when you start saying, "Yeah, I'm lifting heavy deadlifts now," um, Eddie Hall, he's got a world record for 500 kilos, right? And when you look at the deadlifts that a crusader is doing, that is heavy versus the guardian type body, there's a very big difference between what is actually heavy for each of those bodies. So what is heavy for you is actually quite different for somebody else. That, that's, that's the first and most important thing. Um, the second thing is, uh, and I'm going to short my answer here. I'm going to get to the question. So, sorry, Brady, I see your face there. The, um, the yes, you can change. Um, for example, like if you put on a whole lot of muscle, then you might shift. You're a 70, James. You might shift up to a 75, for example, but you're not going to shift into 95. Crusaders will generally range anywhere between 10 to 20 degrees in their lifetime. And that is where um, the muscle tissue that you have is actually featuring as well. Like if you put on a whole lot of fat, that fat changes your hormonal profile and that gets picked up, but you've still got the same skeleton. So instead of being a 70, you're now a 80. And 80s have a slightly different way of going about life. And you need to live like an 80 healthfully for a little while. And then you might find that you drop a little bit of that fat and you come back to a 70. Um, at the same time, you might do all of this work and you're just putting on muscle exactly how a 70 would. And you stay 70 your whole life, even though you might fluctuate, you know, uh, five or six kilos in your life. And, and, and it'd be quite rare for a crusader to change much more than that, but you'll see other people change a hundred kilos in their lifetime. So um, you can't become a guardian. Ultimately, you can't flip to the other side of the circle. It's unlikely that you actually change uh, even in your classification, um, you, but you will move 10 to 20 degrees. And let's say that we're wanting to really strengthen your body. Your body is very, very good at endurance. And so the way that I would be looking at some of your programming is not doing, you know, five by fives on the deadlifts, but rather, you know, 10 heavier deadlifts and then 12 and then 18, and then going to max and full fatigue on the last one at maybe 25 repetitions, because your body responds really well to maximal load in a more endurance setting. And you might, you may even find that you get better strength gains doing it that way as well, rather than just trying to strengthen your nervous system, which isn't the thing that you actually need to strengthen. You need to strengthen the, the, the muscular endurance and, and the, like the, you really need to make the body, the, the muscle go through hypertrophy as opposed to train the nervous system, if that makes sense. Did that answer your question, James? That's fascinating. Thank you. Cool. Um, and Darren, do you have any, any questions for Cam at this stage? After you start following Shay, how long does it take before people start to notice a difference in how they're feeling. Great. That's a good question. So because for, for, we've got a crusader call on at the moment, um, firstly, the most important thing is what is your outcome? This is where it's like PA360 doesn't give you the outcomes. It gives you the how. So if you say, yeah, I want to like, what's, what's your goal, Darren, just to make it really real. Uh, just to, just to make sure I'm doing the right thing basically. And, um, Okay, but if you were doing the right thing, how would you feel different? How would you be behaving differently? How would you feel a bit more energetic and recover a bit quicker? Okay. okay. 
Cool. So for Crusaders, if you're looking at better recovery and more energy, it's the first place that we go to is how did this body develop? It developed with a dominant nervous system, dominant musculoskeletal system. So we go to neuromuscular things, but specifically uh, the two things that I would be looking at for you, Darren, being on the cusp of activator, but still being a crusader, number one is your mind. So what are you doing to maintain the health of your nervous system mentally? And that is if, if you started doing, um, and, and you can combine that with uh, flexibility and mobility training, which is something like all crusaders, most 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 crusaders are quite stiff and rigid, which is one of the reasons that we can bounce with our stride. And so I would be looking at um, upper thoracic uh, mobility because we have quite flat thoracic spines and they get stiff and rigid. That's where we hold a lot of our stress. It's upper neck and back is where we feel it when we're stressed. Um, if you start rotating and getting lots of spinal mobility happening and doing, like if you did two sessions of yoga per week, you swapped out one of your sessions for two like hour long proper yoga sessions where you're really getting into stretching or whatever stretching Brody suggests. But yoga is like an easy one to go and get some flexibility stuff that's not going to hurt. Um, the you will find that that mental rest that occurs that's that neural rest actually drives a huge recovery uh sort of work, sort of project in your body it's our mind that is often the thing that's driving a lot of our stress top down and then the second thing is mobility so if you woke up in the morning and started doing 20 minutes of stretches that you can actually see in the ph360 app You'll see the stretches that are appropriate for you. You combine that with some deep breathing and prioritization of your day. That's what's going to fire up your energy for the day. Then the next thing that you'll do is you would do a wind down at 6 to 7 p.m. at night. That's when your methylation pathways in your brain specifically are most vulnerable. And so you would look at doing some meditation at that time, which rests your brain at the time it most wants to rest. That would maximally recover your nervous system for the next day. And then the last component is eating regularly. So every three hours, you need to make sure that you're getting fuel for your brain in, and that's where the carbohydrates are really important. So stretching, mobility, breathing, top and bottom of the day, and then regular food consumption. And I would say you give it a week. In fact, you give it three days of doing that, and you will notice a significant shift in your energy levels. That's for a crusader with that particular outcome at that particular you know spot on the circle. So that that where you can get really specific, and so with, with the outcome, we can we can get specific. And to to throw a bit of a spanner out there, I also do shift work, so I do two days, two days, and then two nights, and yep. then four off. So, how how does the night right shift on. affect me? So you eat as little, so it affects you profoundly. <laughs> um, so you just want it, but not as much as it would for guardians and diplomats. So um, you want to have as much as you can, all of your main meals through the normal part of the day and then have liquids only overnight and that'll significantly enhance the ability for your body to, to digest and recover or to, to rest its digestion and recovery. Um, if you get particularly hangry, do you need something that's really easy to digest? Uh, the less bright lights you can see, the better. The less caffeine you can see, the better. The more that you can keep your rhythms calm at night, the better your recovery is going to be and then you get back on rhythm as soon as possible. So you wake up, at the right time, get blue light from the sunlight in your eyes, move, and you start your rhythms again on those four days off so that you can return as quickly as possible. The uh, night shifts are a very quick way of getting sick. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I do try to do exactly what you just said. So, Great, mate. That's awesome. 
Yeah, well done. Uh, nice work. It seems like um, myself and James seems to be like score wise quite similar. Um, let me know if I'm wrong with that, but no, perhaps no, you can. So, so James is 70 and you're a 45. Oh, okay. So quite different. Yep. yep. Uh, okay. Relatively, but I mean, you've, um, yes. And you've got different secondaries as well. So that we're, yeah, we can, yeah. All right. Let's delve into James and, um, we'll see if we I already know my, my sort of stuff, but, um, yeah, cool. time-wise <laughs> we'll, we'll go with James and then we'll see where we lead at the end. Sweet. So James, what do you want to know about mate? It probably, it's probably easy to start with some outcomes for you. Um, I'd be fascinated to know more about, uh, sleep and nutrition if possible okay cool all right so i'll give you a so and what what's the result of that what's going to get better uh to to optimize sleep so knowing more about how to knowing when to go to sleep how long i should sleep i feel as though i need more sleep than than my girlfriend she's she's like oh you're you know always the always the tie you know blah 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 she's rolling her eyes Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has different epigenetics and she just gets by on less sleep somehow. Yep. Um, uh, you know, um, optimizing sleep so I can recover harder when I'm training more um, and also the best nutrition giving, giving regard to my particular epigenetics. Yeah, cool. All right, sweet. So uh, I'll just quickly give you a, a slight difference like in the summary that I did for Darren, but just the differences that I saw in your profile. So James at a 70 is about halfway into like, he's about mid range crusader. 60 is the midpoint. What we often see, I won't get into too much detail right now, but what I will say is instead of it being like Darren's got this activator element of like a little bit more fire, the need for movement, uh, that's going to happen with him being at 85, but also as part of his mind profile as well. What we saw with James was he's got more of a sensor element to his profile, uh, which is the pure, um, ectoderm development, it's all about nervous system. And so when, when you've got a heightened nervous system, then everything becomes a detail orientation. Everything is about very specific compartmentalized things. It's about one job at a time. It's about deep dive into that particular topic. And it, everything becomes very precise because with precision comes certainty. With certainty comes my next meal. And if, whereas Darren is, is happy just with less detail because he can kind of fight his way into the next meal. Whereas James definitely needs to understand the detail of the environment so that he can get his next meal through logic and order. Uh, and that's why he takes a bit more, that's why James takes a bit more time doing the detail orientation of things. That's why he's going to be really searching for the detail in all of the research. Darren, even the way that you guys speak and like on the call before, Darren's like, yeah, like I checked out some of the resources. It was good. Whereas James gives us this like, you know, 15 point dot point on like all of the different elements of what he discovered and how he discovered it, et cetera, et cetera. Like the, the, the variation in crusaders is different, but it's picked up by the, by the biological input. So um, when we're talking about sleep uh, for, um, for you, James, so sleep is all about rhythms and uh, a crusader's rhythm is designed to wake up, oxygenate the brain. So that's the stretching and the breathing or the cardio, the things that we were talking about with Darren. It's then about um, using energy uh, in the morning, like your highest amount of energy, your utmost productivity, your best thinking 
is normally best in the morning between 8 to 11. And But you've got to also control cortisol because it's the thing that's going to be controlling your sleep. So the way that you can control that is by having snacks and by having a good solid breakfast and then a snack two hours in and then a good solid lunch and then a snack and then a good solid dinner. What that does is it creates bridges of carbohydrates. Carbohydrates lower the amount of cortisol that you need to run through your body to keep your brain active because your brain wants to be active all day long. Uh, so that's one rhythm. It's wake up, oxygenate, work hard, but feed yourself so that you can continue working through the afternoon and feel complete. Then it's about resting. So that 6 to 8 p.m. period is a really important time for your brain to rest and shut down. And you'll find off the back of that, you actually become quite creative. If you do a whole lot of learning, which you're doing through the day, then you have a break. You'll then get more creative from the stuff that your brain has assimilated. This is for crusaders. Versus for a guardian, I just want to give everyone a reference. It's wake up, look after people, have a light breakfast, have no snacks whatsoever, make sure that you're communicating with everybody, have your most productive time over lunchtime, your biggest meal at lunch, and then virtually no dinner, no snacks. So very, very different rhythm. I just want to set that. Like, this is not the same advice for everyone. And so the first thing that I would say, James, is if you can get that rhythm right of wake up, move, oxygenate, work hard, feed yourself, get rid of little things in the afternoon like that, the high focus but less complex tasks in the afternoon, have some rest at dinner time where that can be meditation, really quiet, mindful eating, whatever it may be. And then you allow your brain to decompress but also get creative. You'll find that ideas start spurting out. The thing that will stop your sleep is when you start engaging with those ideas and trying to start work around them. If you just write the ideas down and put them on your list for tomorrow morning. Say, yes, great idea. I'm going to take action on that when I should be using my dopamine tomorrow morning. Then it's going to allow your brain to release those thoughts, not have them spinning around your head, uh, but know that they're also in a safe place so that you won't lose them again. And so that's, that's the first piece. The second piece is you need regular carbohydrates throughout the day. By having regular carbohydrates, it lowers your overall cortisol load for the day Cortisol is the, the hormone that's balancing your sleep with melatonin. If you have lots of cortisol and you're not eating enough carbs through the day, you'll be either very tired or tired and wired. And this can create like a, it's like an anxiety, but it's like lots of thinking in your brain because it's not shutting down. Carbohydrates help you shut your brain down at night because they make you a little bit more satisfied and a bit more sleepy. So top tips. Get your rhythm right based on your genius profile and looking at your fitness, and I'll send you a couple of resources to help you with that. Second is be journaling and writing ideas down in the evening, and then you want to be doing sleep hygiene of less lighting, uh, less things that are going to stimulate your brain to want to do things. And when you find that your brain is stimulated, you have to catch yourself and write something, write it down, and leave it for tomorrow morning for your prioritization time. That will allow you to empty your brain know that it's there so that you can work on it tomorrow, but it allows it to just let it go rather than hold on to it. Um, the other thing that I would say about your nutrition specifically, I haven't looked at your, like this is where every single person's profile is completely unique when it comes to the exact food choice. So the food choices for you are in there, but what I will say about a body like yours, you'll do better with um, essentially warmer, well-cooked foods that are easy to digest and higher carbohydrate loads like slow cooks, casseroles, curries, 
things that just go, oh, that feels so easy. I don't really need to chew. I can just like sort of swallow it. And it, it's like feeling really warm in my stomach. It doesn't distract my brain. But if you try and eat like this big steak and then try and go back to work, you'll be like, oh, this is hard because your, your body's having to digest all of these proteins. If you eat warm, well-cooked foods, things that are really easy to digest, and then you put the right foods in from your list, you'll find that your body just feels really smooth all day long, particularly if you get the timing of your brain and your productivity right. So how does that all sound to you, mate? That's very interesting, even though it, it does make me sound like my diet is that of a geriatric. Yes. Actually, <laughs> when, we're when we're teaching health professionals about this, we're, when we're talking about the senses, we talk about uh, it's like retirement village food. It's like that, that's what we talk about. But, uh, but when you think about it, uh, you know, what happens to people when they get older? They, get, they lose muscle. They have less bone. They have less fat tissue. They become more frail. They actually move down towards the bottom of that, the circle. They have less capacity. We, we actually have like a, a body that represents that more like that of an older person with less muscle and less bone. Uh, we're a healthy version of it with lots of hormones and all of that sort of stuff. But it's actually, for that very reason, a, a lighter, less resilient body will often have a, a weaker digestive system. And, and we do have weaker digestive systems. We have less hydrochloric acid production. So we actually need to help the, the digestion of foods by having something that is a bit more digested already. But may have some chunks in there. Go nuts. You know, it doesn't have to be pureed. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also have to say that one thing that impressed me about the resources that came back at the end of the questionnaire was how detailed the food recommendations were. There's that yeah. long list of things that are excellent for me in particular. And there are things on, on there that I never would have thought of. Random things, thyme, <laughs> you, know, yeah. um, you know, basil and, and pumpkin, things that I, I wouldn't necessarily think are oh, great. That's the key thing that I need to be going for. I would have thought it'd be things like Oh, you know, spinach, chicken, things, but they weren't on my list necessarily. Mm. Um, and, and for example, if I take pumpkin, I'm just looking here at why that one was recommended to me in particular. It's got uh, the natural tryptophan, which can help improve sleep quality. And then that's going to help my racing mind, which you were referring to earlier. Yep. Um, very impressive. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and Matt, and if you can, you can obviously sort by food so you can see which your meats are excellent, et cetera. Yeah. I might share my experience as well, because after me doing my profiling and chatting with you, Cam, um, one of the major things I took away was um, I was quite neural, neural driven as well. And mm -hmm. one of the advice or what I took away from it was making sure that I switch off, like I have a certain yes. cutoff time in the day um, to start settling down and unwinding so that I can sleep better. And because me working for myself and working from home, if I'm not seeing clients, I'm like working on the podcast, working on growing the podcast, working on like <clears throat> business strategies. And like, I could work all day if I wanted to yeah. and no real defined cutoff time. And so, um, one thing that I've made sure of to do after our call was having that, that precise cutoff time to unwind and have found myself a couple of times. If I, during later in the day, like in the evening, if I open up my emails or if I'm messaging too many clients, um, I'm really struggling to settle down and fall asleep. And we all know the importance of sleep, um, in many domains in life. Um, so it's just been one strategy that I've found is it seems to really fit my profile. It seems to like, yes. um, it seems to really match, but also that strategy has really, really helped me and helped, um, the quality of sleep that I'm getting as well.
Yeah. Yeah, perfect, mate. That's gold. And just to help you with that little bit more science behind it, the reason that you would give a crusader a very specific time is because we've got a pretty active uh, FP2. It's like the uh, frontoparietal like, range of our brain, and that's, that's um, uh, a tracking time. So we're very good timekeepers. This is one of the reasons we've got our wearable devices and we're tracking all of our wattage and we're looking at our race times and we're seeing our cadence and we, we like the data. We really like the idea of tracking and data and objective stuff. And so when you give a crusader a recommendation of do it at this specific time, they go, cool. Like It's like this rule that becomes like extra software for their brain that they now know how to, you know, they, they follow it very well. If they agree with it, if they're skeptical of it, they will ignore you. Um, and so, and that's another thing as well with Crusaders, they can be very skeptical. So we've got a really nice open bunch of people here, uh, which yeah. is cool. The, um, the, whereas if you, if you said to a guardian, oh, we need you to do it at this time specifically, because their motivation is not about their goals, it's about everybody else's goals due to the hormones that they have, they would easily get distracted by other people's needs and not hold an importance around time for themselves. Whereas crusaders will naturally gravitate towards looking after the time for themselves because that's where a lot of their motivation comes from. It gets us into a bit of trouble with relationships though because we can often be only thinking about what's right for our dopamine and what we're being rewarded for mentally, which is often our outcomes, which is not everybody else. And as a result, we can sometimes be seen as unempathetic uh, and a little bit too over-focused on things. So that's just something for crusaders to have a think about. Just make sure you're spending some time with the people. Yeah, my girlfriend often rolls her eyes if I say I don't want to have a big night or I don't want to, let's say I don't feel like an over, overly sugary dessert. But I know that that's because I'm in touch with how I feel after those things. And I know that <laughs> toxins like alcohol or processed sugars is not going to be great for my, you know, my brain functioning or my running, but cause, as you say, cause a lot of stress in the relationship. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's just the high detail of it. It makes like, this is the, the logic of the crusader. It makes no sense to do this. If I don't do it, I like to think of crusaders like a German engineer. It's like, it makes no logical sense. Why would we, why would we put that in there when this makes it slower and less efficient? Like it makes no sense. The, the, the decision is very clinical versus with individuals with um, different hormonal profiles, they are very much about feelings, not things. And so they're like, oh, but it just feels so good. It's like, yeah, but it makes no sense to do it. And that can be a real tension for a relationship. I mean, there's a whole other podcast we could do on relationships about this <laughs> stuff. Um, but, and particularly crusaders or runners in relationships. I reckon that would be actually quite a bit of fun. But the... Um, <laughs> Just that piece as well, that thing that keeps you motivated also makes you very tunnel visioned at times. And you've got to be conscious of that so that you can still connect in with the people who need that connection from you. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe some topics of like just the whole series on crusaders and how we can better our lives in our relationships <laughs> and our diet. <laughs> hey, we need it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, if, if people want to experience this, if people want to do this profiling, um, can you just explain where they can go and like what the price points are? Because I know you have certain services and certain yeah. packages, that sort of thing. Yeah, cool. So um, ph360.me is the website. So www.ph360.me. And then as you say join, like there's a button for join. Um, there's a 10-day starter pack. This is what these boys did um, that kind of gives you 10 days of resources. It's actually the best way to kick it off. Um, 
if you know that you really want to dive in, I'd do the 10-day starter pack and then upgrade to the annual. The, so the 10-day starter pack is 27 US. The, uh, the annual membership is, um, is 197 US. And then there's a lifetime, I think, for 997 US. Um, the, what I would also suggest as well, like similar to, you know, the Crusaders are pretty autonomous actually. But if you're wanting, if you're wanting some expert advice and someone to help you really get the most outcomes out of it, then we've got 1300 health professionals around Australia, New Zealand and the world. Actually, there's, we've, we've, we've gone US and Europe in the last couple of years, um, that can actually help you navigate through this. And know that for Darren, it's the mind first. Actually, it is for Crusaders. You've got to go to the mind first. That's often not often the place that we need to think we need to get energy from is by doing more meditation. But this is where that, that support with a coach can really, really help. So to reach out to a, um, a health professional, just support at ph360.me, support at ph360.me. And so with those two things combined, a 10-day starter pack or annual membership, that'll give you the app and then you can get the help you need. I also have a fair few health professionals that actually listen to the podcast as well. Um, yep. If they wanted to become like a PH360 kind of um, like get training coach. with them. Yeah. Yep. So there's options for those as well. Yeah. 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 So uh, if you go to education.ph360.me forward slash health professionals, all one word, there's a number of free resources there, but there's a course that's eight weeks long that essentially gives you everything, every possible resource that you could need as a health professional to be up and running with this, to be able to profile people's epigenetics, to be able to coach them in a way like the language I've been using on this podcast is specifically for runners. Like I wouldn't be talking like this if I was talking to powerlifting community. Uh, you get to learn that it's about data and objectivity and specifics for runners. And so even learning that language is something that we really support you with so you can get much better rapport with your people, but also be able to navigate not just in your area of expertise, but be able to then support them in navigating the other areas of their life. And so that, that course is available. I think it, it's normally 997 US. Um, it's got uh, 20 to 30 hours of professional development attached to it. And um, I think it's, it's, it's at half price right now because there's early birds available. So um it's, I, I will say, if you come through that course and do everything that you're meant to do in that course, uh, I'd be very happy to guarantee your enthusiasm for it afterwards. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's actually, um, it's definitely on my to-do list because looking at, I have addressing runners, treating runners. I have kind of like a lot of these blanket statements that I make due to the available researchers out there around like stretching, like stretching doesn't do much for performance and recovery or um lifting you should be lifting heavier to reduce your risk of injury or increase endurance performance but i've never really considered someone's epigenetics to like you say someone might be more advantageous to work higher in the rep ranges based on their epigenetics whereas someone might be more power focused or more strength focused or someone might be able to ramp up their endurance and power if they train their endurance those sort of things are huge when it comes to epigenetics and training to be a runner and thrive as a runner so it's definitely up my alley and definitely something that um it, it's on my to-do list to to become more proficient in in teaching those sort of things so um yeah i'm learning and um it's extremely fascinating and i think a lot of people would take a lot out of this. Um, before we wrap up, Darren, James, do you have any burning questions that we might just quickly touch up on? I'll tell you there's a no. 
All right, cool. <laughs> um, so, um, anything else that you want to talk about, Cam? Before we before we wrap up, anything that we hadn't discussed? Uh, probably, I'd probably just leave you with a, a key message, uh, and that's um, like your like uh, your body has natural strengths, and it's if you can start to understand those, and even the recognition that you're going to be really good at some things, and you can start to unpick what those things are and then start doing more of those things. Life's going to be a lot more fulfilling. Like Darren's not the most depressed bloke because he's out on a bike and running each morning. It's because his body loves it. He loves it and he keeps turning up. It's, it's, if you start going with what your body actually really likes, um, that's a, it's a, a, a way of feeling a lot more fulfilled. And I would say that if you're finding that your body doesn't like anything, it's because your body's under a bit of stress. And this is where this can actually be a lens for you to say, oh, well, this is what my body should feel like or should be like. Okay, now I know where I've got to get to because sometimes it's just a matter of waking up at a different time, eating at a different time, understanding how your brain is going to be energized throughout the day can actually give you a guide, a lens through which you can find that, that sense of fulfillment again. So this is it is about running, but it's also about you actually feeling really, really good in your skin no matter you know what size and shape that may be. So... Thanks for the opportunity, mate. I, you know, I could obviously talk about this stuff all day, but um, I really appreciate the opportunity to do so. For sure. That was a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone. Thanks, James, Darren, Cam. Thanks for joining us. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.